Well, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. All right. Some people have asked me, why do you do that every Sunday? Let me explain. So it's actually a famous um, slogan from Martin Luther, the theologian who said, simul, and this is the Latin, and I think I have it on the screen for you, simul, which means simultaneous or at the same time, justice, which is righteous or just, et, which means and, and peccator, which means sinner. So what we have is, at the same time, righteous and sinner. And uh, he was saying that from one perspective, in one sense, we are just. In another sense, from a different perspective, we are sinners. So as Christians, we are just and we are sinners. Um, and how he defines that is very simple, because in a, un, of ourselves, under the analysis of God's scrutiny, we still have sin. We are still sinners, but by what Jesus did on the cross, by dying on the cross, being resurrected from the dead, the imputation of faith, uh, by, uh, a faith by, by faith in Jesus Christ, whose righteousness is now transferred to our account, right? We are then considered just or righteous. So as a believer, I am now just or righteous. That's the heart of the gospel, but yet I still have this thing I struggle with, right? And simultaneously, we're sinner and we're saint. 100% both all the time. So as a believer, you have a freedom in Jesus. But as you know, we still struggle with stuff. So every Sunday, I'll come up here and say, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. And then that way I can get everybody in the room. I don't have to worry about it, right? Now, we live in a time of uncertainty and political and cultural volatility. And I think we all can recognize that it's fairly easy for us to be overwhelmed. And I think we've all seen and experienced that it could be easy for us to lose hope in what's going on in our culture and our world around us. It's easy for us to give in to despair. But thankfully, as Christians, we can return to the scriptures. And when we go back to the scriptures, when we go back to the Bible, we can gain a perspective. And um, we can look to the Bible. We can be reminded that for those who know Jesus, that there is a day coming when we will all be well, when it's all going to be well. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm just, I got some problems here. And I'm, do I hear feedback or is that, no? Then it's the ringing in my ears. So we got a new pack because I had struggled last week. So hopefully we'll get this going. So there's a common way that the story of the Bible and of human history is often summarized. When you open the Bible, we see we have creation, we have the fall, we have redemption, and we have consummation. So there are four words that are often used to remind us of God's plan for the world. He creates all things. He actually created them perfectly in Genesis 1.31. And then through sin, when sin came uh, in the fall and the curse happens. And then what we see is Jesus shows up on stage and, and he brings this redemption. 
And now what we do is where we find ourselves is we're waiting for the consummation of all things. When Jesus comes and calls his people to himself, when he restores all that sin has distorted and destroyed. And so the promise of the Bible is that for those who know Jesus, that there is a day that is coming and hear this, there is a day that is coming when all will be well. Some of you need to hear that because you're in a dark place. There's a day that is coming when all will be well, and that is the hope that we have as believers. Now, we're continuing to walk through the book of Mark, and we find ourselves at the end of chapter 7. And last week, Mark had been showing how uh, Jesus is bringing God's plan of salvation. And so while the Jews themselves believed that salvation was reserved for strictly Israel and for those who were dependent upon observing the law properly, Jesus reveals that salvation is actually not just doing the right things, but salvation is a matter of the heart and it's available to everyone from every nation. And one of the ways that he illustrates this truth is by going away with his disciples and he goes into a Gentile region where he showed compassion on a Gentile woman. And what does he do? He sets her daughter free from an evil spirit. And Jesus is taking a very unusual route here. Mark records that Jesus traveled from Tyre, which is sort of northwestern Galilee, to what is called the Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis was a group of 10 Gentile cities located on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. His route was anything but direct. He is going off course. He's not hanging with the Israelites. He is now in Gentile territory. So let's pick it up. If you have your Bible, you can pick it up in Mark chapter 7, starting with verse 31, or you can follow along on the screen here. Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre, went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephrathata, which means be opened. And at this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. And people were overwhelmed with amazement. And he has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, back in Mark chapter 5, he writes of Jesus and his disciples traveling to the region of the Decapolis. We went through this already. We looked at this. And he was only there for a short while, and while he was there, what took place was that he freed uh, a man who was possessed by demons. However, Jesus was forced to leave. The people there, you know, uh, didn't like what was happening, what took place. They were scared, and so Jesus had to leave. But before he left, he commissioned that former demon-possessed man to go and to tell everybody what Jesus had done for him. And it's quite possible that perhaps the witness of this one man led to the fame of Jesus in the area. Can you imagine? You're known for being demon-possessed. You're known for being out of your mind. And this guy shows up. He sets you free. You now have sound mind. And you have a story to tell. And people are going to listen. 
It's interesting to recognize, again, now upon his return to that region, so Jesus is coming back to that region, he's now very well known. People know who he is. Large crowds are coming to see him. They're seeking miracles. Matthew chapter 15 is the comparative story here, and we can, it helps us see the big picture, and it goes like this. Jesus left there, he went along the Sea of Galilee, and then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing him the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, and the cripple made well, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. These are Gentiles seeing what Jesus is doing. These are Gentiles coming and hearing his message. It's in this context of Matthew 15 that the miracle of the deaf man occurs that we read in Mark chapter 7. Matthew gives us a big overview of Jesus and, and all of his healings. Mark gives us a detailed encounter. It's fascinating. And unlike the, the previous encounter that we looked at last week, where Jesus healed the woman's daughter without ever touching or seeing her, here he heals this man with a very personal touch. Mark is the only gospel writer to include this account because Mark's style is short, he's to the point, and we know he included this healing for a reason. Now, when I read through this passage, a number of things came to my mind for me, and one of, uh, one of them is the fact that we have a deaf community here in our community. Give them a hand. <laughs> okay. I'm thrilled that you're here. And so, I, I wanted to be very sensitive when approaching this passage. See, back when I was a youth pastor in Victoria, I had a young deaf man in our youth group, and he was amazing at reading lips. And he and I could actually communicate really well. And one day over lunch, he told me that for him, it was embarrassing for him to be deaf at times because, as he would put it, nobody could see your difficulty. Hmm. And he went on to add, he would say that, you know, if you were blind, if you were uh, disabled or lame, uh, people could see it. And so they make allowances for it. But if you're deaf, nobody can see it. And it's embarrassing. And it's embarrassing when people start shouting at you or they repeat what they have to say to you over and over again. That's his words. My heart went out to him. It was, and it wasn't like he was my special ministry project. He wasn't. He was, he was a, a great uh, student in our youth group and a, a fabulous young adult in our church. But my heart went out to him. And had always had a warm spot, even when we moved back to Winnipeg and to do ministry. So you can imagine my joy when we planted soul 19 years ago. And soon we had people who were deaf and wanting to become and to be a part of our community. And I remember that, I think it was you, Jan, making the phone call. My husband's deaf. Do we have interpreters? And I said, well, just do whatever it takes. And I think ever since that conversation... It's been happening, yeah, five on. It's there. It's meeting the needs of a community. In my communication with some of our deaf community, they said to me that many deaf people are sensitive to being healed or fixed. That somehow they are broken and not normal. 
I want to say today that the scripture that we're looking at today and others does not mean that people are less than or broken because that they are deaf. As a matter of fact, there are many deaf people that actually reject the term disabled. They actually do not see themselves as disabled. There's a saying that is coined by uh, Irving King Jordan, who became the first deaf president of Gallaudet University in 1988. And Gallaudet is the world's only university with all of its programs, all of its services designed specifically for deaf or, and uh, hard of hearing students. And so this new president at the time, Irving Jordan, said that the deaf can do anything hearing people can do except hear. So with that in mind, let's continue our passage, shall we? Today we're going to take a look at a man who could not hear, a man who could not talk. And Jesus heals him and gives him the ability to hear. He gives him the ability to talk. However, this man represents all of us in many ways. I'll get to that, but let's get back to the story. So after hearing that Jesus is in the region, some good-hearted, well-intentioned people bring a friend who is deaf and mute to Jesus. Notice he doesn't come on his own. I think that that's very, very striking for me when I read this passage. The other thing is when we're reading the Bible, sometimes the Bible uses being deaf and mute as an analogy for our spiritual condition. For instance, in a well-known passage in Isaiah, the prophet is giving the following commission. And he goes like this. He goes, he said, go and tell uh, this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving, make the heart of this people callous, make their ears dull, close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Well, we have to understand that in this passage here, God is not referring to people's physical eyes. God is not referring to their physical ears, but he's talking about their spiritual faculties of seeing and hearing. You know, it's awful to hear from God that you're spiritually deaf or that you're spiritually blind or that you're dull, right? We don't want God saying that to us. And so while this man meets Jesus, um, he could also be spiritually deaf and spiritually mute. He is obviously physically deaf and physically mute. And I think this is where it gets interesting. The, the Greek word there, when we break it down and you go into the languages, the Greek word there that renders as, you know, he could hardly talk, is the word, and I've, I've got it up on the screen there for you, magilalos, that's my Greek for you, and it's only used once in the entire New Testament. Uh, there's a slightly more common word that is used to describe somebody who is mute, and it's the word alalos. And it's used actually later on in the passage in verse 37. I'm just saying that because here's the interesting piece. The only other time that uh, Magillalos appears in the entire Bible, Greek, remember we're talking Greek, the only other time it appears translated in the entire Bible is in Isaiah in the book that is called the Septuagint. The Septuagint Bible was the Greek translation of the Old Testament from the second century BC. And so here is that passage, which says, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. 
Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy, and water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And so what our text renders as mute in Isaiah is the same word that Mark is using in his passage. So Mark would have had the Septuagint. He would have had the Old Testament scriptures. And he's drawing a parallel between his story and Isaiah. And this is even more, more note, noteworthy because Isaiah chapter 35 is a messianic passage describing the future coming of the Lord to save his people. In other words, we learn from Isaiah that when the Messiah comes to establish his kingdom of God, there are going to be certain signs. This is what Isaiah is talking about. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will leap, the mute will sing. And so perhaps God's people believe these verses to be referring to our spiritual faculties, as possible, of seeing and hearing and speaking. And ultimately, they, they are right. But when Jesus arrives on the scene, he restores not only the spiritual faculties, but the physical faculties as well. He's the Messiah. And Mark is drawing that connection for his readers. We tend to be more amazed at physical healings, right? We want to see physical healings. We do. We all do. We want to see the deaf people hear. We want to see blind people see. We want to see people sick with cancer set free. But can I present to you far greater work is spiritual healing. Making the spiritually deaf hear and see and experience is probably of far greater significance. See, this passage is bigger than just physical healing. You see, Jesus knows about your and my spiritual condition. Jesus knows that you and I are spiritually deaf and we're spiritually speechless. That's how we come up. That's how we we're born into this world. And every one of us, every one of us starts off spiritually deaf and spiritually speak, speechless. We don't hear God's truth accurately. We struggle to talk to God. We struggle to talk about God or to talk to others about God plainly because we don't have that. We're, we're not connected. Now, we don't have any history about this man's condition. And in that world, there were no remedies. There was no medicine. There was no surgeries or implants that were available to help him. Those suffering from physical difficulties were usually made fun of. They were usually rejected or they were locked away in their homes. They were regarded as mentally handicapped. That just adds insult to injury. And people with disabilities like deafness or blindness were seen as being judged by God for some sin in their life or even some sin that maybe their parents committed and they are suffering the effects. So I look at this passage of scripture and I see in this passage of scripture, it's a picture of every one of us before Jesus enters our lives. And let me show you what I mean, because just like this deaf man, we are isolated, we're disconnected from God and from God's truth. If you were deaf in Bible times, it would be nearly impossible for you to communicate with others and for others to communicate with you. Verbal communication would be impossible. 
Written communication would be slow and laborious at the best of times. Sign language was near non-existent and inadequate at best. And in many ways, you would be disconnected from your family, your friends, and I would go so far as to say even God. And you might be in the the same room, but it would be very difficult to feel close or a part of what's being said or a part of what's happening, kind of like the outsider on a circle. And so just like this deaf man, we are unaware. Spiritually, he would have had to have very little knowledge of God uh, or, or God's truth. Spiritual conversations with him would have been near impossible. Most of what he would learn about God would come, how? Through his sight, by what he observed. And that would have been very generic in nature. And yet Romans chapter 1 says, and it actually addresses this when Paul writes, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been seen clearly being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So he may have been aware that there is a God, but his basic knowledge would have been very broad and very basic. And his knowledge of God would have come, again, like I said, by mostly by what he saw. And so spiritually speaking, he would be very unaware. He would be ignorant as an unknowing of God and his truth. And that's how we are before Jesus comes into our lives. We have to have the ears of our hearts opened up so that we can hear God's truth plainly. And this man's speech impediment may have come from him not being able to hear. And I think the same is true for us before Jesus enters our lives. If we can't hear spiritual truth from God, we're going to have a very difficult time talking to God about God. We'll even have a difficult time praising God. We're going to be unable to talk spiritually because we are unable to hear spiritually. And when you come to Jesus or when you are brought to Jesus, such as in this case, Jesus knows about our spiritual condition. So think about that. Right where you're sitting right now, Jesus knows about your spiritual condition. He knows you can't hear spiritually. He knows you don't know how to talk spiritually or what to say or how to pray. He knows that your ears need to be opened and your mouth needs to be freed. And as mentioned, this guy is surrounded by people who care. That's the beauty of this. And the truth is, is that there are people who care about you as well today, even as you sit here in this community. And the interesting thing is that some people have to be just brought to Jesus. You have to go and invite them. You have to go and you have to pick them up and you have to bring them. You know, Soul Sanctuary does a lot in our community and in our world. You know, we help with ministries like Living Word Temple in the inner city downtown. We bless other organizations financially. We work with missions all around the world. We're online every Sunday. You know, you can go to our website and you can watch our stuff uh, later in the week. We advertise on social media. Yeah, we do. And these are all good. But every study shows that the most effective way of people coming to soul sanctuary or giving their heart to Jesus comes through someone 
in their life, inviting them to come to a gathering or to telling them about who Jesus is and what he means to them. As a matter of fact, they tell us that over 90% of those who attend church for the first time were invited by somebody that they knew. So not only did these people bring this man to Jesus, they also interceded for this man before Jesus. As a matter of fact, the scripture says they begged him. Now I can break that down, but let's let me put it basically. They were begging Jesus. They were in desperate. Uh, 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 desperation for this man on behalf of their friend who couldn't speak for themselves. They begged, they pleaded Jesus to heal him. Unfortunately, he, this man had some friends who heard that Jesus was around and brought him to Jesus and they interceded on his behalf. They believed in Jesus' ability to heal and so they begged Jesus to lay hands on him and to heal him. It's quite clear. Because sometimes you and I need to have people around you to believe God for you. You hear that? You and I sometimes need to have people around us to believe God for you. You have people in your life who need you to believe in God for them. And even though this man was deaf and could not talk, he was still blessed because he had people in his life that loved and cared for him enough to bring him to Jesus and to intercede on his behalf to Jesus. And that is what ministry looks like sometimes. You're going to have to bring them. You're going to have to go. And you're going to have to ask Jesus to open their ears to his truth. Because all we can do is bring them. All we can do is pray. And allow the Spirit to do his work in an individual's life. I had a friend here at Seoul who was dying of cancer. Some of you will remember him, Jerry, not me. And I still remember the day that we got the call to go to his house and pray, and a number of the men went. My dad was still alive at the time, and dad came with me. And I remember Jerry saying, as he sat on the couch, his body just filled with cancer. And his words to us as we came to pray was, I have no words to pray. Now, Jerry is a Christian, but he was just at the end of his rope, and his time was coming real quick. And I'll never forget my dad sliding next to him on the couch, and he jumped right in. And my dad's words were this, that's what we're here for. Let us be the ones who pray and present your request to God on your behalf. You see, there are times that all we can do is simply be the one praying for them and bringing them before the Lord. And there are times where we all need that. There are times in our lives where you're, whatever you're walking through and you can't even open your mouth, but you know that there will be people, if you were to say, hey, can you just pray for me? You know they'll be bringing your request before God. And we need that. We need that support. We need that encouragement. Now again, I love what Jesus does in this passage once this man is brought to him. Because I think that out of consideration for this man, in, in the tenderness of his heart, that Jesus leads him aside from this multitude and he wants to deal with this guy privately. He wants to deal with them one-on-one. Because -on -one. usually when Jesus 
healed somebody, it wasn't public. It was in front of those who happened to be there. However, occasionally Jesus would pull the person away from the crowd to deal with them privately. And there's multiple reasons why Jesus would do this. And I think one is, is that Jesus had a mission and it wasn't just to do miracles. His mission was to teach and preach about the kingdom of God. He didn't want the miracles to distract from his teaching. So what does Jesus do? He separated the man from the crowd so not to you know, cater to their persistent desire to see a sign because that's our human nature. We want to see the miraculous, don't we? We want to see the wild. We, we want all that stuff. And another reason would be that Jesus simply wanted a private moment with this man. He wanted to give this man his undivided attention. And the method of healing that follows is very interesting. Because Jesus didn't say, okay, you know, you can hear and speak now. No. He uses physical touch, and it's not just laying on of hands. And again, Jesus didn't need to touch when healing, because we saw that last week. But it demonstrated Jesus' compassion. And I think that's what Mark was trying to get across to his readers. It helped the person with their faith and identified Jesus as this channel through whom God was working to bring healing. And there's some unusual things that took place. In this case, physical touch was extremely important because the deaf man could not hear or speak, right, to Jesus. And he can't hear Jesus speak to him. And so to communicate what he was doing, and some theologians will say that Jesus may have been using a type of sign language to explain what he was doing to the man. So when he put his fingers in the man's ears, was he trying to communicate, you know, something's going to be done for your ears. I will do it. When he, you know, uh, touched the tongue, something's going to be done to your tongue. I, I will do it. The spit. I like that one. There's a little bit of gross, right, for us in our culture. But his intention was to heal, and people knew that saliva, or they thought, sorry, they didn't know, they thought that saliva is thought to have medicinal purposes. Think about that next time you're cold. Ask your spouse to spit in your mouth. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. <laughs> no, it was inside voice. <laughs> and then look to heaven. So he looks to heaven. Mark's very clear on this, indicating his help came from above. And finally, the sigh. The sigh, the groan. And Jesus sympathizing, taking this man's condition to heart. And I think that the, this man experienced a very human side of Jesus. Of course, he puts his fingers in his ears. He touches his tongue. He uses his own spit. In this very human encounter, the man experiences what? He experiences the divine. But why these elaborate actions of Jesus? And I think the answer is, is that Jesus was speaking to this deaf man in a language he could understand. Jesus was willing to meet this man where he was. He could have done what he did last week with the daughter of the Syrophoenician woman and healed this man from afar and chose. He said to meet the man where he was. 
years ago at Calvary Temple. And we've had him speak here, but uh, Brent Cantalone uh, came and he spoke. And I had him doing a young adult retreat. And I, I remember him talking about uh, Ephesians. And, and as he began to preach on Ephesians, and he talked about how Satan attacks us and brings us down, but Jesus is always there for us. Brent said something that I have never forgotten. And I said it already earlier, is that Jesus is speaking to us in a language we understand. And so you need to think about each and every one of us as we sit here. Jesus, as he speaks to us, as he talks to our heart, he's talking to you in a language that you understand. He's working away at, at what's going on. He's trying to get right down to the inner recesses of your heart, of your spirit. And it's interesting, Mark doesn't explain the reasons for Jesus' actions. But we see that Jesus is patient, he's purposeful in his interaction with this man. And it reveals to us com the compassion of Jesus and his sympathy for human suffering. And finally, at the word of Jesus, the man's ears were opened, his tongue is released. And you have this demonstration of Jesus' power and compassion that should actually evoke from us the reader's worship of God. And again, this passage got me thinking. I grew up in a Christian family, very, uh, um, you know, church was everything. But also we did a, a lot of uh, um, conferences and stuff, specifically here in the city. I remember going to the Playhouse Theater all the time because, you remember the Lundstroms? Some of you old people, yay. <laughs> I was dragged to that as a child, and there's other names I could use, and I don't want to, you know, defame anybody, but I'm just saying. So I remember attending a conference, and what the guest speaker did was brought a person up on stage that was obviously physically disabled. And the speaker invited the person in, in the front of the auditorium and where he would pray for healing in front of the whole gathering of people. They're, they're at the Playhouse Theater. So brought the guy up on stage. So there we were at the Playhouse, and the speaker's on stage with the individual, and he begins to lead all of us in a prayer of healing for this person. And then when he finished praying, he actually invited the individual in front of us to walk across the stage. Now, before I tell you what happened next, I want to tell you some of the things that I still remember to this day going on in my head. And maybe you can relate with this. Or maybe not. I was young. And I have seen God move. I have witnessed God heal people. And on one hand, at this time, I remember I was praying so fervently for this individual and their healing. Because who wouldn't? Right? Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want a physically disabled person to be able to walk again? Who wouldn't? But on the other hand, at this time, I found myself fighting some conflicting thoughts. You ever been that way in prayer? Was I truly praying for healing out of compassion for this individual? 
Or was there a part of me that was just hoping to see a miracle? And then I was thinking that, you know, was it right to raise people's hopes so high by bringing them into a crowded auditorium to pray for a dramatic healing like this? You know, are we putting God to the test? God, you better show up because you're going to look bad if nothing happens. And then I wondered why we were being brought into all this. And if God really wanted to heal the person, couldn't the speaker just have prayed for him in the back or in a side room and healed him there? And then, of course, I began to feel guilty because that's not what Christians are supposed to do. You're supposed to have faith. And I began to feel guilty for thinking all these things. And then I would go back to praying for God to miraculously heal this person. Because who wouldn't? So back to the stage. The speaker invited the person to stand and to walk while the rest of us all sitting there were waiting in anticipation. That person shuffled a bit and prepared to stand and they, they tried and they tried and they tried and they really tried, but they were not able to stand or walk. And God had not healed this physical disability. You know, and it's quite possibly that God later healed at a later time. I don't know. And I certainly don't doubt God's power to heal. I, to this day, I still don't. And as a matter of fact, I'm always praying for God to physically heal people. And I believe he does. But I don't want to judge the speaker's motivations or whether or not God was directing him to do what he did. But I found myself questioning the appropriateness of intentionality of praying for a miraculous healing in a public setting where we found ourselves. Especially as I thought about the scripture where we find Jesus doing the very opposite, specifically in this case. But those are just some random thoughts of your pastor. It doesn't change the fact that I still pray for healing. It's just I remember being there and it just stuck out to me. And then I read this story where Jesus got so intimate. And again, not all Jesus' healings were private. There were times in public ministry where the crowds brought their sick and he healed them in front of everyone. But when it came to individual healings, we do see a pattern of Jesus avoiding the crowds and taking the individual aside. And I believe but part of this was Jesus' concern for the dignity of the individual. And Jesus did not want to make a spectacle out of anyone. Part of it was his humanity. Jesus didn't, wasn't looking for the admiration of the crowds. No, part of it was Jesus' mission. And he primarily came to preach and to teach. His miracles backed up the preaching and the teaching. But he didn't want the miracles to distract from his teaching. And so what does Jesus do? He takes the man aside, takes him away from the crowds. Then Mark says he looks up to heaven. And this is an act of prayer. This was a sign of Jesus' dependence on God the Father. And even though Jesus was God in the flesh, he chose to live his entire human life in dependence of God the Father. We read that in John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus looked up to heaven several times before he did something in Scripture before doing the miracle of feeding of 5,000 people with only five loaves of bread and two fish, the Bible says that he looked up to heaven and he blessed the food. 
Before raising Lazarus from the dead, the Bible says that Jesus looked up to heaven. In John 17, when, when Jesus is praying for his disciples and us, by the way, we were told that he looked up to heaven. And so for the blind man, this is communication that the power to heal came from God. The source of this miracle would be the one true God. It would also reinforce the truth that all good things come from above. And then Mark tells us that Jesus sighed. Again, it was a deep sigh. It was a window to the heart of Jesus. Because why? Healing is a spiritual battle. It's the kind of sigh that, that probably came from pain, from hurt, from exhaustion over things that made him weary. This can also be translated groan. I think groan is probably more appropriate. Jesus is groaning over how sin has hurt and damaged God's creation. You cannot tell me that this deaf and mute individual, when Jesus let out a groan, that he didn't resonate with what came to him. I would go so far as to say that that man felt that in the deepest recesses of his heart. That man's deafness and speechlessness was just another expression of the impact of sin that started in the Garden of Eden. That sigh, that groan was full of compassion. It was empathetic. It was for this man. It was for those who were just like him. And even in this count, we get a sense that any healing Jesus performs, it comes at a spiritual cost. Which reminds me of Psalm 34, which says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus understands our weaknesses. Paul writes in Romans 12, Weep with those who weep. And so Jesus' sigh, Jesus' groan was one way that he was sympathizing with this deaf man. His heart was broken for him. He cared deeply about this man, just as he cares deeply about each and every one of us here today. That sigh of Jesus meant, I care for you. I care for you. We're told at the end of verse 34 that Jesus said, be opened. And instantly, this is, this is fabulous, and instantly the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. So two things happen instantly here. First, the, the man could hear perfectly. Can you imagine the flood of sound moving into his life? He could hear the roar of the crowd talking and moving off in the distance. He could hear the birds in the trees. He could hear the wind blowing through the trees. He could hear the sound of his own voice. He went from complete silence, so to speak, to a perfect sound surround. Dolby. And for me, this, this miracle reveals and demonstrates the power of Jesus to heal the spiritually deaf. He can give a sinners an ear to hear the truth of God. And then he could speak plainly. And Mark describes his mouth being freed. And I think the idea of being, that is being conveyed is being freed from chains. 
It was like his mouth had been tied up, and now it's set free. Think about this. The extent of the miracle went way beyond merely repairing the man's physical faculties. He's given the ability to clearly speak. He didn't need speech therapy. He was immediately able to speak plainly. And that word plainly comes from the, the Greek word orthodox, which means straight or right. And so here he is, he's immediately able to talk right, to speak correctly. And we're not told, but I wonder what the first thing he said was. Can, can you imagine? This guy would be like, like a, a six-year-old. Right? <laughs> like, at least this is me visualizing it. You know? All the questions he had about what he saw, but did not understand. Can you imagine all the stories that he wanted to tell, but he couldn't? And now you're not going to be able to shut him up. I think that's, that's just phenomenal. This reminds me of the power of God to transform the speech of someone who becomes a follower of Jesus. Right? Spiritually inside, the person who never spoke of God meets Jesus, opens themselves up to the Holy Spirit, and now they, can, they speak of God, and they love to talk about God now. The person who never prayed finds a delight now when Jesus begins to heal them from the inside, to speak to God, the person who never sang praise or worship to God now worships freely with other believers. The person who never talked to others about Jesus is now having conversations about what Jesus has done for them. Now they speak plainly about the things of God. I like what Henry Nellon writes. He says that Jesus does not speak about a change of activities, a change of contacts, or even a change of pace. He speaks about the change of heart. And so finally we conclude and we see that Jesus does everything well. Mark tells us that he commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. <laughs> of course. Like, am I the only one that finds that funny? Like, I really do. People are overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even made the deaf ear and the mute speak. You know, the crowd's realizing that Jesus is saying, don't tell anyone. And the reason, he, again, he did this was because the crowds were getting too big. The people want more and more miracles. They weren't, you know... Um, they didn't want to hear about the truth of his kingdom. They're more interested in what they could get from Jesus rather than following him. That's the honest. I, I think that that's reflective of our culture today. We're more interested in what we can get from Jesus, what we can get from God, rather than following him. And the crowds are beginning to see Jesus as a political and national leader. That wasn't his mission. His mission, as he tells us, is to seek and save the lost. And so to slow the frenzy down, tells the crowd, don't tell anybody, but they're so amazed they couldn't help but spread the news about the healing of this guy and the others. And in their amazement, what people were saying is that he had done everything well. Again, sometimes we read over passages of scripture, we don't let it sink in. The people are commenting on the perfection of Jesus' miracles, of this miracle man. 
that the recovery is immediate and, and the restoration is complete because Jesus' healings never fail. They were perfect every time. And this, this phrase seems to echo what we read in Genesis 131 where we're told that after God created everything, he looked over at everything he made and he saw that it was very good. And so when God does something, he does it well. He never does it sloppy. He never does a substandard work. What he begins, he finishes, and he always does it to perfection. And that is what the good news is for us. Because if you are a believer here this morning, God is in the process of working on you. And we read this in the book of Philippians, and you can be very confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until completion, until the day of Christ. You are a piece of work. You hear me saying that all the time? You're not finished. And God does everything well, and everything he does is wonderful, including you. Including you. Oh, Jerry, I'm a mess. Yeah, you're still a wonderful mess. Jerry, my life is falling apart. Yeah, but God is there to help put you the pieces back together. Jerry, you, you don't know. I feel so alone. Well, then you need to look around at the people around you because there are people in this community who care. So how do we apply this message to ourselves today? I want to go straight to your relationship with God today. Are you walking in relationship with God? Are you listening to him? Are you talking to him? Are you obeying him? Or are you cut off from God? Or so it feels. Like this man who is cut off from the people around him. See, at one point, we're all cut off from God. We're separated because of our sins. And we were as helpless to change our condition as this deaf and mute man in our passage today. But if you're a believer today, somehow God got through to you, right? And just as Jesus got through to this man, you had a heart of stone and your ears were deaf to spiritual things. But Jesus spoke to your heart, be opened, because that's what he said. He spoke to your heart and it was open to God. And that in itself is a miracle. You think healing the deaf man was an amazing miracle. Nothing, it's, it's nothing compared to the miracle of salvation and the changed heart of somebody. And perhaps you've been a believer for some time, but you slipped in your walk with God. You're not talking to him like you used to. You're not listening to him like you used to. Well, today, Jesus is saying to you, be opened. Open your ears to the wonderful truth of God's word all over again. Open your mouth, confess your sin to God. Let your lips speak his praise. Confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord. Is God calling you to do something? Perhaps to step out in faith or to trust him in new ways? Then hear the words of Jesus. Be open. Be open to God's work in your life. Be open to God's spirit working in you. Be open to God's will whatever that may be. And that's our phrase for today. Be open to God. Be open to Jesus. He is the Messiah. He has done all things well. He will do all things well. And when Jesus is leading your life, no matter how rocky the path that you walk, the end is always good. Be open to God and his amazing love to you.
And God wants the ears of your heart to be open. He wants you to hear what he's saying. He wants you to listen to his words. He's speaking a language to you that only you understand. Be open to receive the truth. And God wants your mouth to be opened. He wants you to talk to him. He wants your mouth to be opened with praise, with thanksgiving, with requests, with intercession for others. God wants your life to be opened, open to where God will send you, open to what God wants you to do, open for changes and new directions in your life. That's exciting. Stand with me. We're going to move into a response time. And, and, and first, before we do that, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. And if you want prayer today, we have two crosses on either side of the stage. We have a prayer team that will pray with you. Just walk up to them. Tell them what your prayer request is, and they're going to pray for you. Whatever it may be. You also have uh, little sticky tabs you can see on this cross. There's already some people have gone there and placed their, wrote down their prayer requests, and you stick them to the cross. We gather them up at the end of the gathering. We distribute them to our, our staff and our prayer team. We pray for you guys during the week. But God wants to do stuff in our hearts. And are we listening? Are we open? And so maybe you need to acknowledge your need for a healing touch. And maybe for some of you, it is physical. Maybe for some of you, it's emotional. Maybe for some of you, it's relational or it's psychological or it's spiritual. So let's pray. Father, we confess that we have strayed from your ways and that we have allowed sin to enter our hearts. But just as you healed the man in our text today, we ask that you would heal us of our spiritual deafness, our spiritual blindness, and our unspoken struggles. We trust in your power to bring wholeness to our brokenness. We ask that you would open our ears to hear your voice, our eyes to see your truth, our hearts to receive your love. And we believe that through your son, Jesus, that we've been made whole and that nothing can separate us from your love. And we give you all the praise. We give you all the honor for we know that you are faithful and loving. In Jesus' name, we pray. And the community who agreed said amen. Worship team is going to lead us in a song we sang last week, Speak Jesus. Maybe you need to speak Jesus over areas of your life. Maybe you need to speak his name so that things are open for you. I want to just us to take some time. We're not going anywhere fast. And let's just create an atmosphere of worship. We are worship, we got prayer teams on either side. Sharon, if you can take that side and I'll take this side here. And if you need prayer, if you need to be anointed with oil, we see oil as, it's, it comes from James, where James says, you know, those who are happy, let them sing. But if you're sick, call on the elders of the church, they'll anoint you with oil. And that, that oil that we anoint you with is just extra virgin olive oil. I bought it myself. But it's a type of the Holy Spirit and we're being obedient to the scriptures. And so maybe you have something that you feel is so strong, so tight, you're so chained that you just need to allow God to begin to break those chains. Come and ask, and we'll pray for you. 
Maybe everything's going good. Well, then scripture says, be happy and pray. Sing songs of praise. So join in with our worship team. And for those who need to come for prayer, maybe you just want to write your request and post it on the cross. But let's turn this place into a place of prayer. Let's open our ears. Let's open our heart. Let's open our eyes, shall we? I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Cause I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak.
Praise, how sweet is your name, God. 